Welcome to Phone Messages, Episode 71, Art School. My name is Paul Mason Foch. This week, I play message number 14 from Chris Pearson. Due to coronavirus, I was not able to interview him in person, but instead I met him via FaceTime. The message is from spring of 1989 and is less than three seconds long. Here we go. Hey, Paul, it's Chris calling. You know, it's, it's been interesting going through these messages because I swear, I mean, you know, this one sounds like a message I could have left 50 times. Some of the other ones, like, I really remember, like, it's amazing to actually remember leaving, you know, the content of a message was the last one we did with the um, hip tunes. I, I swear I can recall leaving that message and exactly what it was. As soon as you put it on, it just took me right there. This is somewhere around March or April of 89. So when did you graduate from the Art Institute? My guess is that I probably graduated school in June of 89. So probably I'm, I'm just fit wrapping up work at the Art Institute. What was your final show like? It wasn't much. The Art Institute, it's a good school, you know. I'm not a big believer in art school. I'm really not. Going to the Art Institute, there was no campus, really. It was just, you know, a bunch of classrooms in the back of a museum. I didn't go to graduation. They might have probably had something. I didn't even know about it. It was almost like going to work. You'd go there, I'd be in the building, and then I would leave. And at the same time, you know, as far as the final show goes, I think they probably had a period where everything was on display and every senior would have a certain amount of space to fill. So I filled it with the paintings I'd been working on at the time. And what were those paintings like? At that point, a lot of them were based sort of on language. You know, it involved some collage, a lot of collages in my paintings, like a lot of still lives mostly. And I might have a still life with a bunch of cleaning products and some of the labels would be collaged and some of them would be painted. There were often puns involved in them. I remember one that was based on a, uh, had an element from a Daniel Johnston song where I had these flying welcome mats. Looking back at it, you know, I don't think I was ever meant to be that sort of an artist. I think I probably was making better art than a lot of people in the program. And people liked my paintings quite a bit but I think they were always kind of the paintings of somebody who was also a musician also a writer you know kind of fit into the whole big picture with me you know I was never really just going to be a visual artist although that's why I thought at the time I actually applied to the Yale graduate school and was waitlisted there but did not get in when I applied to Yale and before I moved to New York I was just working on Grand and Wood I was doing paintings based on the game Blockhead. So I would set up a still life of colored blocks and paint it on a small canvas. And originally they were sort of Edward Hopper-ish, you know, sort of like kind of representational, but also but not so precise. And gradually over beginning with my last year in Chicago and my first year in New York, they evolved into being more abstract. So, you know, they were rectangles and squares still but they became not based on Blockhead. And then when I pretty much quit painting, they were, I'd say, almost fully abstract. I got paintings of shadows or something like that. You know, looking back, it was probably a mistake to go to art school. You, why did you switch from UFC to Art Institute? 
UFC, I just dropped out. You know, it was just getting harder and harder. I did the core curriculum, and I was like a straight B minus student. Except for Italian, I always got an A. Actually, I got an A plus in Italian. I didn't know if it was my plan to really go back at all, but it was better than working, you know. But also, maybe it's possible that I really thought I was going to be a professional artist. How does one become a professional artist? How is the value of art determined? What makes something art to begin with? As an undergraduate, I was fascinated by these questions of aesthetics. I took several classes on the philosophy of art from Ted Cohen, who was perhaps most well-known as the longtime moderator of the Latka Hamantash debate. The annual debate, where scholars contest the value of these two traditional Jewish foods, began at the University of Chicago in 1946. I once saw Professor Cohen walking on the other side of 55th Street and waved at him. How are you? he shouted. I'm alive, I shouted back. Prove it, the quick-witted philosopher replied. It was partly due to Cohen and the influence of Ludwig Wittgenstein that I became disillusioned with aesthetics. Instead, I came to view art's value in sociological terms. In the case of professional visual artists, careers are created by the collective conventions of gallery owners, museum directors, wealthy patrons, professors, critics, and other usually highly educated members of what Howard Becker calls an art world. Becker was also a product of the University of Chicago, which helped define an approach to sociology that recognized the power of socially constructed meanings. Simply put, anything can be art if members of an art community say it is. I actually have one of Chris's paintings from his very late shadow period hanging on my wall. I interpret it as a meditation on nature's universal similarity. I value this painting highly, and I value Chris's participation in this podcast. If you would like to participate or have comments please contact me through my website, pfoch.com. That's P-F-O-T-S-C-H dot com. Thanks again to Divas Gurung for editing assistance this week. And thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.